Hello and welcome to Mortgage Insider from Barclays, the podcast series for mortgage brokers. I'm Phil Spencer. You may know me from a certain TV property programme. What you might not know is that I trained as a surveyor and launched and ran one of the UK's first ever property search companies. In this series, I'll be using my experience to get to the heart of the biggest issues in mortgage broking. You'll hear from industry leaders, brokers, as well as Barclays' own in-house experts. We'll share insight and expertise to help you navigate the challenges, the changes and the opportunities that lie ahead for intermediaries in 2023. When it comes to the economy, it's been an interesting few years here in the UK and indeed around the world. We've had a pandemic. There's an ongoing war in Europe. We've seen rising interest rates in most Western economies. We've got costs of living, costs of heating our homes and driving our cars. There's high inflation. And then the failure this year of a number of regional banks in the US and, of course, one in Europe as well. But it is something of a mixed picture as there are a number of positive factors at play as well. People have got cash in the banks. We've got equity in our homes. There's high employment. And I think it's fair to say sentiment isn't perhaps as bad as it was at the start of the year. To help us make sense of it all, I'm joined by a friend of the show, Will Hobbs. Will is Chief Investment Officer at Barclays UK Wealth Management. Will, great to see you again. Thank you for coming in. It is a a mixed picture, isn't it? (laughs) Easy for you to say, yeah. (laughs) No, Phil, it is. Yeah, it is. It's a very mixed picture. And actually, everything you said there in your summary, they're all interlinked, all these factors. That's one of the problems we've got at the moment is that... You know, central bankers are still kind of locked in this tussle with inflationary forces. Um, And until those inflationary forces start to kind of ebb plausibly, um, I think... What what do you mean by that? Well, what you want, what we've had in the last few years, if you you think about it, is um, a number of shocks to the economy. So Mm. you mentioned all of them there, you know, the pandemic and the war and so on. Now... We've had pandemics before, of course. We've had wars before. Mm. But the precise cocktail right now, societal, including the technological context and also the policy response to that pandemic, Mm. that's a very unique. It's created a very different economy. There's no real. It is different this time, I think. That's the real point. And the central bankers have one tool, really, one set of tools to fight inflation to avoid a kind of repeat of the 1970s or Turkey, contemporary Turkey, um, and that is raising interest rates until you Mm. slow growth and Mm. bring price pressures back to heel. And they will see, uh, you know, almost any economic price as worth paying uh, in order to bring inflation to heel. So that's part of that complication at the moment in many ways. And are are their policies starting to succeed? Uh, it's a the jury is probably still out a little bit. What you've found is that some of those temporary factors that have been boosting inflation, they've started to ebb. So some of those kind of uh, price pressures resulting from Russia, Ukraine, yeah. um, some of the sort of contortions that happened in the pandemic. Because if you remember, uh, suddenly an economy hugely reliant on services, services were suddenly denied to us. But at the same time, consumers were supported by the government. So there was yeah. this all these excess savings and they had to go somewhere. So they went into goods. Uh, people just switched a lot of their services yes. consumption into goods. And that put huge strain on supply chains, as you might yes. understand. And that was at the same time as a lot of those suppliers were kind of locked down themselves. And so that created a, a perfect storm of inflation. Well, some of those factors have moved on. But what you're left with is the residual. And that's the bit that is still worrying central bankers. Because the complicated bit about inflation 
And the bit that is most misunderstood is that central bankers obviously can't, you know, dictate uh, foreign policy of governments or these、mm. kind of things. They can't stop shocks. But what they can do is by raising interest rates, they can convince us that two percent inflation is still the target that they want to adhere to.、Yes. So that's the key: is keeping us convinced、um, that five six percent inflation isn't the norm. It's two percent,、uh, and that means that we change our behaviours. Yes.、Uh, yes. And therefore, so it's complicated. There's these feedback、yes. mechanisms. But the worrying thing that will be keeping the central bankers in the UK and some other places up at night is that there is still a sense that the economy is running too hot, as they say. It's running a bit too fast to bring those inflationary pressures down,、mm-hmm. and so they might want to cool it further. Okay. How much of a role do you think the media has to play in, in our behaviour? Because I mean, we can't understand all that you've just said very eloquently. It's deeply complicated stuff. Deeply, but, yeah, yeah. No, you're right, Phil. I mean, it's, it's so there is a role. I mean, there, there's a famous paper looking at the tone of news、uh, in the post-war period, and what they've done is a kind of simple word search, and they've categorised positive words and negative words,、um, and they've scanned through several major、uh, papers, both in the US and the UK, looking for the prevalence of these positive or negative、okay. words. And what they show is that the tone of news、mm. has been becoming more negative、mm. over the post-war period, and actually, the advent of social media kind of heated up the、yeah. competition for our eyeballs. You've seen that trend go even further down, and so the point is that negative news sells. You know, no one's going to、mm. tune into something、mm. saying today's going to be much like yesterday, but just、mm. with a little bit of else. And there's always going to be enough bad news to fill a 24-hour <laughs> news feed. That's the fact. But it's it, it's the perspective which is often difficult difficult to find in this world.、Um, so yes, it does. It impacts all of us. I think. I, I'm I'm pleased you said that, but at the same time. I wonder, and this has been on my mind a little while, because we've had a lot of shocks over the last couple of years, and the media has, rightly so, informed us of what those、yes. shocks are. But they have, as you just said, bad news sells. We we read it and we, whoa, world scary, end of the world.、Um, have we? Is is there a risk that we have been desensitised because we've read so much? Bad news and sensational headlines. Whether it's about the pandemic, or whether it's about the economy, or whether it's about the housing market, or interest rates, it all seems to be quite scary. Yes, I think that's right, Phil. Do you, I do mean, you think there's a point we go. You know what? <laughs> Yeah. I've seen this before. It's probably not going to happen. I'm just going to get on with my world. Yeah, and there's an element of that, and there's there's an element of that that is that is normal and positive, to be honest, because most of the time the world doesn't end as、yeah. we can sort of speak of in our history, and actually. We have evolved in a way to look for the threats more than the op- you know more than、yes. the sort of the good news.、Yes. That's been a rewarding kind of strategy in terms of evolution strategy.、Okay. But right now, it's probably not that good. But we are living. You know, you rightly point out, we really are living in a kink in our times. One、mm. suspects. You know, quite、mm. a lot of the time in the run up to 2020, you would say. Well, yes, there's been these before, and it's probably not that different in terms of context. But just the size of the pandemic, the policymaker response, i.e., things like furloughs,、yes. those technologies coming together to kind of save working from home, all、yeah. those things have really changed yeah, behaviors.、Absolutely. And then you've got this new incoming kind of technological revolution, the generative AI revolution. So there is a sense that. Things are moving really fast、mm. at the moment, and yes, you're、mm. not alone in thinking "stop the world, I want to get off."、Yeah. Maybe we did have incredible、um, support packages, but of course, they've all got to be paid for. And the price of the pandemic is that something that people have really explored, or, or how, you know, who's going to pay for it eventually? Will it, will it be our children? Will it be our grandchildren? So. 
I feel this is a really, it's a really good question. It's a really popular question that we get a lot. I've got a frustrating answer in a way, which is that we can't think of government debt in the same way as we think of our own debt. Uh, you know, I know that I've borrowed as much as I can feasibly borrow and that any sensible bank will look at me and say, no mass. But mm. A country, remember, has an entirely different frame frame of reference because countries, they have a monopoly on violence, mostly, uh, and also tax raising capacity, but also yeah. lifespan. Remember, yes. so yes. the UK can borrow for, you know, it's been borrowing in international markets for several hundred years successfully. And we've had way more debt as a percentage of GDP in the past right. and paid it down okay. without it being a problem. So okay. in a way, I wouldn't get too carried away with having to pay for stuff. I would think almost about the counterfactual. So think about sort of pandemics past. And this is one of the comparisons that sort of economic historians make is that this economy was in a way uniquely vulnerable to a pandemic in the ways that the economies that the Black Death and the industrial and the Great Flu weren't. I mean, you think about the Black Death, that was an agrarian economy. So actually, when the Black Death wiped out roughly half of Europe's population, the people who were left were actually substantially richer in land per capita terms. And it starts off a kind of mm. a consumption boom. A boom. But right now, because in the last 200 years, the world has become significantly wealthier. So, yeah. you know, you've gone from, you know, around 90% living in extreme poverty to well under 10%. Services have evolved. You know, mm -hmm. So we've got time now to Mm -hmm. go out to the cinema, go out to restaurants and all the rest of it. So face-to-face -face transactions and our economies have become incredibly reliant on it. Yeah. So when the pandemics, remember well, you know, hitting Italy and you're looking at it thinking, we don't know much about fatality rates. We have no idea about treatments, vaccines. Those still seem way off. So the, the governments at the time took the decision, the unprecedented decision to shut these economies down. Mm. But in the context of that services story, it's not like switching off a light. You know, it's more like powering down a nuclear reactor. It requires sequencing huge amounts of support just to keep things from going in another way. Massive depressions, bank runs, all the rest would have resulted, I think, if yeah. they hadn't done what they did. So, Well, I mean, lucky, lucky that they did. Lucky they did, and I we think. we are still yes. here to talk about yes, it. Yes, exactly, yes. Um, looking forward, Will, uh, do you see? Do you see more strain coming down the track for the for the economy, and 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 how is sentiment changing now? Or you know, over over the over the next few months, what what does the picture look like there? Yeah, so Phil, I mean, I think since the beginning of the year, there's a bit less gloom on the UK economy. Mm. To be honest, much of that functions because there has been a sharp fall in both realized and expected gas prices. Um, and that has created a substantially easier fiscal picture for the government. So they've got a bit more money than they thought they had as a result, and also a bit less pain for some consumers. There is, however, ahead of us, for the UK in particular, these you know sharp rises in uh, mortgage costs. Yeah get realized a bit quicker here in the UK than they do in some other economies. So we do have this kind of mortgage refinancing burden to get through in the next couple of years. Not quite like several other countries, just because of the shape of our mortgage market. But many of those extra payments are taking uh, are hitting households with the means to support it because of some dry powder still squirreled away from the pandemic. Yeah. So there is some sense that it can be digested without catastrophe. Mm -hmm. um, but the next few quarters should be a bit difficult. But beyond that, I actually feel a bit more optimistic yeah. about the UK's potential just because of this new technology coming yeah. in. That really does change the potential future path. T t tell me more. Tell me more. Because I feel and I, and I see traveling around the country, th th there is generally um, a, a feeling of more positivity. That's good. Around. That's good. Yeah. It's nice to People see. People are cautious and sensitive. 
Yes. But on the whole, people are kind of getting on with things. And... I think that's that can only be a good thing. And I think the, the the exciting thing about this is that, you know, the context is that the last 15 years, we have been living through a period globally, but particularly in the UK, of what's called very low productivity growth. Now, productivity, this is the driving force of economic growth. It's basically, you know, technology, and I'm massively oversimplifying here, mm -hmm. but it's new technology coming along and giving us extra superpowers, basically. Okay. Everything from, you know, the compass, the printing press, up to the, uh, you know, electrification, yeah. the microchip, yeah. so on and so on and so on, the Excel spreadsheet. Now, we've been in this dry period for the last 15 years, so there's been no new big game-changing innovations that have changed our superpowers materially. There has been some stuff going on. I mean, the social media and so on revolution is yeah. ultimately might be important. But that dry period now looks to be over. So the big next, what's called general purpose technology is mm. here, that generative AI story and some of the associated breakthroughs. Yeah. And that suggests that productivity growth might return. Okay. Now, the important thing about this, politically, remember that your, you know, democracies, you know, you require at all times certain segments of your society getting bad news. That's just the reality. There are going to be winners and losers. Now, managing that difficulty in a democracy is made much easier when the pie is growing, obviously. Yeah, yeah. If the pie is stagnant, it becomes much more adversarial. So sure. some people would argue that some of the political debate we've seen in the UK and the US in particular, some of these kind of, you know, and Europe as well, the rise of the extreme ends of the political spectrum and so on, some of that is down to the fact that the pie just mm -hmm. hasn't been growing. And mm -hmm. so it's created this more zero-sum yeah. political societal debate. So there could be more to growth again, apart from rising living standards, yeah. which comes with it yeah. and all the good stuff. Um, so th there's, there's cause for optimism. But, really interesting. Yeah. Can we talk about interest rates? We can uh, try. <laughs> very important to the housing market. Yes. Would you say they've peaked? And I know none of us have a crystal ball. What's, what's your take on that? Well, yes, Phil. I mean, I think we're probably quite close. Um, I, I would say that there so are. So that's a no. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Yeah. I mean, I, I, to be honest, it's changed. I, my view, personal view, mm. and our view has been changing quite a bit in the last few months because with every incoming, what people are looking for is that plausible evidence that inflation, you know, the inflationary sort yes. of forces are ebbing yeah, a little bit, yeah. that you're seeing that, you know, you're seeing the central bank interest rates start to take hold. That's not really kind of enough evidence of that, one suspects. Mm. And there are still worries that wages are too high at the moment, inconsistent as such with the level of inflation that okay. the central bank wants to get us to. So they need unemployment to rise. Mm. Like I say, it's an unpopular job. For a reason. That's why we don't have elected officials, uh, you know, doing it because we don't yeah. want them having to pander to the electorate. But it so, all takes time to filter through. It but, does. Yeah. It does. And that's the thing. It's very there's a huge lag between mm. soaring interest rates and the effects on the economy. And, it, and it's very it's quite a crude mechanism. I mean, people are mm. writing this and this amazing modern, you know, this world we live in full of technological marvels. A lot of people argue that the central bank tools to cool inflation are a little bit medieval, to be honest, but we don't yet have a better framework. Okay. So this is yeah. what we're doing. Um, so basically, we're saying there's more to come. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. We should talk about banks, because uh, we've seen a few of them in, in trouble, both um, over in America and also Credit Suisse in Europe. Yes. How, how concerned do you think we should be about the impact of that? 
And could it, of course, the, the question on my mind is, could it lead to a banking crisis similar to what we saw in, in 2008? Because that really was yes. quite serious. I yes, yes. No, no. I mean, I, I'm not answering your question. Yes. I am saying <laughs> yes, yes. No, I agree. It, it, it's um, it's very important. And, and, and it goes back to your previous question in a way, Phil, because one of the things that you think about is that you know, if you think of the previous few decades, as you know, as someone in the sort of ha- in the housing industry, you know, we've seen a trend of just falling interest mm. rates, falling real interest rates, inflation adjusted interest rates for several decades in most economies. And the reality had become because inflation had been well behaved and we yeah. hadn't really seen a problem since the 1970s. And many of the kind of youthful traders yeah. see inflation as just something their ancestors fought for mm. their benefits so they wouldn't have to. So what that did is it started to solidify a lot of behaviors. Um, and if you think about it, the people turning around and saying, well, interest rates and inflation might go up substantially just looked increasingly crazy because they yeah. hadn't done yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They never did. But yeah, I mean, I think that's in a way the small and medium-sized banks problem in the US is kind of you know, that, that that's almost the way to see it, which is that there are certain banks in that area who had been taking quite mm. inappropriate okay. bets on the direction of interest rates, more or less. Got it. But there's more to it because we are no longer in the world of Mary Poppins where, you know, a bank run is something you sort of, you know, mm. you worry about it because your friend tells you about it and then you go along, you queue up and say, give me my cash back and the bank's got time to get wheelbarrows of money from the yeah. Bank of England and so on because both the act of panic and the act of withdrawal are now digital. Yes, they require no physical proximity, yeah. so it just happens so quickly. Yeah. And I think that introduces a new kind of way for people to look at the risks inherent in certain banks, particularly, I think, in the U.S. mid-cap spec sector, which is you don't want your depositors being too concentrated. You want diversification amongst your depositors. You need some people who are just going to be resilient yeah. to the yeah. news flow. All great stuff, Will, and, and, and interesting, but I think you've avoided the question. <laughs> Is there going to be another banking crisis? <laughs> yes. Is there going to be another banking crisis? I'm going to say no to that, Phil. Um, I think yeah. it's entirely different this time. I know that's a, those are supposed yeah. to be very dangerous words, but I, I really do feel it is very different. Okay. There's, a, there's a number of angles which it is different. Um, I mean, the buffers built into the banking sector are entirely different to what they were in 2007. There was a complacency then, yes. uh, both from the regulatory, supervisory, yes. and indeed the sort of practitioner um, yep. perspective. That's substantially absent this time. There's, yeah. you know, there are ways to get there, but it just feels a lot less likely. Um, yes. But it's confidence, isn't it? I mean, this is the interesting thing about financial systems and so on, is that, you know, if you turn around to me and say that the five pounds in my pocket is worth nothing um, and enough people agree with you, then it's just machine washable mm. paper. Mm. And that's the same almost as, you know, it's a little bit as a simplification, <clears throat> but you can say the same about the banking sector in a way. You know, it, it's a trust element and the trust is based on the fact that it's a regulated sector. There's yes. loads of buffers. You've got an institution yeah. there, solid bricks and mortar with people in it to sort of act on. But, but I, for me, the scary bit was, can I access the £100 that's in my account? And if there was a day that I can't access, that's that's that causes panic. Yeah, scary. Yeah. Yes. And that's... I. I I, I hope I'm not going over my skis here, but the UK sector, again, from from all of those perspectives, just looks a lot safer. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely right that, that, that a lot has changed since 2008 in the banking world to protect yes. us from that. So thank yes. you. Thank you for that level of comfort. No Will. problem. Um, what would you say are the key things that mortgage brokers are going to need to keep an eye on 
for the year ahead in, in their in their daily work and in their advice to clients? Well, there's a lot coming through, isn't there? I think, you know, there's sort of, you know, if you're looking at the future of house prices, there's very few kind of reliable indicators about where house prices go in the short run. Obviously, all sorts of things impact at the street level and beyond. You know, there's lots of what's called heterogeneous factors. There is one sort of single metric which has some explanatory power, and that Mm -hmm. is real interest rates. And so there's a Bank of England study from a few years back that looked at, you know, the conclusion was that a 1% rise in uh, real interest rates could correspond to a 10 to 20% fall in house prices over time, mm. not in a short, sharp drop. Yeah. So it's it's definitely a headwind. Higher real interest rates that we're yeah. dealing with at the moment is a headwind for house prices. Mm. But there's other stuff going on. I mean, you'll see the government, as you know, mulling over help to buy. Yes. And there's various other factors going into it as well. So yeah. those are things all to keep an eye on, I think, for the broking community. But it's a difficult world, you know. There's always so many variables that affect any market. But I think the housing market... Particularly so, and and but then emotions play a big role as well. Huge. Added to yes. which, we all need somewhere to live. We all added need to some... which people have babies and change schools and change yes. jobs and die and get divorced and you know there's there's so much. There's so much of consider. that. No, you're totally right, and I think we still also haven't quite settled on a. You know, we still don't quite know what work from home versus work from office looks like. Many companies are kind of changing their views on this. Certain occupations Mm. certainly look more productive on a full-time work from home basis. Others look better on flexi. So companies are all, companies and employees are all working this through. And that will be hugely important for... And it'll take a couple of years for that to to sort of sort itself out. Oh, you would have thought so. You would have thought so. Because I mean, I, I would assume that quite a lot of office space is going to be need to be repurposed quite a lot of the there's going to be a lot of repurposing of what cities Mm. look like what you want Mm. from cities I would have thought that's Mm. something to think about for the coming something I've on on the housing market I always look at at the data and the numbers of houses coming to the market the numbers of people that are looking at those houses on on the websites and going to viewings and and it's if you look at all of that actually it feels like a normal market and we haven't had a normal market for for five years, so I'm 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 pretty comfortable with good. the way things are. God, that's good to hear. No, I feel. I mean, I think there is an argument to make that you know economists are always gloomy on the outlook. We're a gloomy bunch. You know, that's the way to think about it. But you know, there are some arguing. I think you know, relatively plausibly, that you know, you you know, we could get through this period mm. with a bit more ease than. Yeah people had worried about and on the other side of it there's that technological revolution which i think is really interesting for you know future growth exciting and really fascinating thank you will um very much appreciate your your thoughts that was will hobbs chief investment officer at barclays uk wealth management we're very very grateful to him the views expressed by external guests in this podcast are their opinions only and do not necessarily reflect the views of barclays Thanks for listening to Mortgage Insider. I'm Phil Spencer, and this has been a Fresh Air production for Barclays. Please rate, review, and follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.